the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I don't want to do it merely walking. I might be walking to say, you know, we need to get together sometime. How about giving me a call? Shoot me an email. I'll do that. Sometimes I'll stand with here and I got a little bit more information and I don't want to get away from it. So I got to tell you, we do need to talk. Can we do this? It's a little bit more important. But when we're actually ready to discuss a matter, a topic you bring to me, I bring to you, a topic that we need to discuss together, could be about anything. When we're seated there, we are fully engaged. And so in this situation, it says the Word-minded person will not walk, stand, or sit in the environment of people that are giving them a worldly lifestyle. Now, if you want to, in your margin, it's not going to be up on the screen. As I was reviewing this again in my quiet time, this was already printed, I got something else that might help you with pegs on this. And you know I like to give you little pegs. So right next to the phrase where it says, walks not on the counsel of the ungodly, these people are going to give you counsel. So write the word counsel. Stands in the path of sinners, put the word character. Usually these people are going to have a particular character trait and you're really defining and understanding their character trait. So you stand around those people. That's their character. The path is their character. It's not like a one-time deal. It's a path. It's not a step. It's not a stone. It's a path. So it's their character. And then it says, sits in the seat of the scornful. Then it talks about a company of people. Sit in the seat of the scoffers. So here it's referring to plurality. So involving all of this would be counsel, character, and a company of these people. It's not just going to be one or two that you encounter once in a while. It's going to be a company of them all. And then it's also going to be a communication where now you often are sharing, and I'm not talking about the godly trying to reach the ungodly. We're talking about those that are now seated and beginning to own this kind of philosophy. Now, how do I know that? The context speaks to that. So you're not engaging for the purpose of pointing them to Christ. You're engaging so that you together can have things in common. That would be fellowship with them, not fellowship with Christ, but fellowship with them. So the worldly person is very much like that. Then it talks about, the, but the word person. Let's go to the second one. The word person. How is he? Well, obviously, he doesn't walk, stand, or sit with those kinds of people. All right? Then verse 2 says, but his, the word-minded person, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. If you don't mind for just a moment, I want to go back to verse 1 and go back to verse 2 and just emphasize a couple of phrases. Watch very carefully because I'm going to build something here. Here it says, how blessed is the person who does not walk. Underline the phrase, does not walk. It doesn't say sometimes doesn't walk. It does not walk. And blessed doesn't, means far more than just happy. Blessed means far more than just that you have everything going your way. Blessed is this inner sense 
of peace, this inner sense of joy, this inner sense of intimacy, this inner sense of well-being. In Hawaii, we would say this is a sense of place. Well, here with Christianity, it's a sense of personhood with God and you're well-connected to him and you're experiencing his closeness. This blessed man does not do this. But now verse 2, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Underline the word but there because this is an incredible, incredible contrast And so let me speak to you for just a moment about contrasts in our life. Um, The Lord really sets us up in Scripture, oftentimes in Scripture. In the book of Proverbs, it's nothing but contrasts. When you read the book of Proverbs, although we're in Psalms, when you read Proverbs, you're going to find it's going to say the wise person is like this, but the foolish person is like this. It's going to say the lazy person is like that, but the diligent man is like this. It's going to say the selfish person is like this, But the generous person is like that. What it's doing, and God does this, is he wants you to see the contrast between the two, which I think is vital. That our Christianity needs to be a contrasting Christianity as we live our life. So while we do want to enjoy others and love other people and connect with them for the sake of the gospel, there does need to be a contrasting situation here going on. Now, I found Jeremiah chapter 17 to be very helpful. Will you hold your place in Psalm 1 and go to Jeremiah chapter 17? I wanted you to see just one passage of Scripture, although as you have your quiet time, look as you begin reading, perhaps in the Pentateuch, how many contrasts there are this way versus that way. And then it gives us the choice. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do that, you'll be judged or cursed, as it says in Deuteronomy. All right, we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 17. Not a hard passage to find. Jeremiah 17. Verse 5, Jeremiah is a prophet. Jeremiah is now speaking to the Jewish people during a time that they were abandoning their faith, so to speak, and they're going after other gods and idols, etc. And so now the Lord is going to speak to them through Jeremiah, but these are the words of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah. Now, before I go any further, let me help you with this. This is important. As I went through this passage, my mind got, got thinking, okay, here was the Jewish people. How in the world did they ever go from being this blessed nation, experiencing all these humongous miracles of God? You know, God doing all of this stuff, the fire and the cloud and all of this. How could they go from that to they are now um, burning their firstborns when they're going to build their own building to another God so that they would be blessed by this other God? How could they go through this where they're abandoning God? And I wondered, what was this contrast? What brought them from this to that? And here's my opinion. I believe that when they began to lose faith in God, that came because there was someone in their life that was close to them that they appreciated or respected that in some measure influenced those Jewish people that began to get them to think otherwise. And by mass control, what happened is they began to abandon God and go after this. And by then it was almost like the the hole in the dike, that the, the whole dam came out after that. So I'm going back to the people you hang around with walk, stand, sit with are going to be those that will influence your heart, influence your thinking, influence your choices that eventually you'll abandon to some degree the God of your fathers. And we have to be very careful of those influences in our life. And that's the context of Psalm. And now let's go to verse uh, 5 of chapter 17 of Jeremiah. It says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. I thought that was interesting. It didn't say uh, cursed is the man who trusts in an idol. No, trust in mankind. Why? Because he trusted mankind. Some man, he trusted more than what God had to say, so he listened to man above God. And makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. See, that's what happens. Our heart goes, 
And then our feet follow. Verse 6, for he will be like a bush in the desert. And we know what bushes in the desert look like if you've ever been anywhere near desert. They don't grow very big. They don't have very much fruit. They usually don't have very many leaves on them. They're just little bushes out there that don't do very much. And you often ask yourself, how in the world can this thing even grow in the desert? And will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt. And that would be the land around the Salt Sea. If any of you have taken a trip to Israel, you know about the Salt Sea. You know what's happening there. But if you look all around the banks of the Salt Sea, you're going to find nothing really grows there. Anything that's green is coming down from the mountains through some little wadi that finally hits out there. So it's the land of salt without inhabitant. That means your life is empty and void without fruit, benefit, anything. It's useless. Verse 7, the contrast again. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Now notice one, it says trust in mankind, not an idol, but in mankind. Here, go beyond mankind and you trust in the Lord. So look up here. I may be your pastor and I passionately love the word and I really love you and I'll do everything I can to give you the word of God through clean heart, clean lips, and the correctness of God's word. But still, you are all alone when you stand before God. You cannot bring me with you. You are all by yourself before the Lord to answer for what you chose to believe from me. So that doesn't mean abandon going to church, but it does mean you even take this message above Scripture and get into God's Word. This Scripture above the message. Thank you, Lord, for helping me get that right. All right, so again, take God's Word and listen to it first. So here they were doing, they are abandoning the Lord. Then it goes on to say, if you trust in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. I love that. You already know enough about that analogy. And will not fear when the heat comes, implying that you doesn't really matter. You can be abiding in the word. You can be living for the Lord. You can be staying away from the wrong stuff. Heat will still come. But when you have troubles, you will not fear. But its leaves will be green. In other words, inwardly, you're trusted in the Lord. Outwardly, there's still going to be heat. But at the same time, you still will flourish. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought, implying that you will have some dry spells financially, fitness-wise, other ways. You will have some of that drought in your life, but you won't be anxious in those, and it says year, not a day of drought, but a year of drought. So that means your drought could be over a long period of time, nor cease to yield fruit. So my question then comes back with, how can anybody go from this to that and even listen to someone who will take them away from truth? Verse 17 is probably what you have, excuse me, verse 9 is probably what you have underlined in your Bible but you've never known what came before it. It says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and is desperately sick. Who can understand your heart? Which implies our heart is what's going to deceive us to get us away from the Lord, to get, take us out of the Word, to let us put things on our list that are good things to keep us away from the great things. Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test your mind, your thinking. Even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So my dear, dear friends, my faith family right here, I want you to know that there's contrasts, there's blessings and cursings, and that if you will listen to the Lord, realizing how quick your heart can deceive you by making certain things seem right when they're not, let me encourage you, you read scripture when you feel like it. You read scripture when you don't feel like it. You read scripture until you do feel like it. Scripture is your life. You want to know the word so you can know Christ. Now with that in mind, let's go back to our little outline here as we're covering it through scripture. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So in this little outline, I said there's two results for the word person. What he does, he delights and he meditates. But technically, what's implied is, 
in verse 1. He does not walk around these things. So there's a negative. Don't get around that kind of person. On the other hand, instead of it, you want to delight in, you want to meditate. Well, let's talk for just a minute about delighting. Hold your place in Psalm, if you will, and go to Psalm 119. Go to Psalm 119. And we'll talk about that. Psalm 119. One of my guilty pleasures is shave ice. How many of you like shave ice? All right. I like shave ice all over the island. I particularly like Aoki's on the, on the North Shore. I chose that over Matsumoto. I know I'm probably giving some of you a heart attack, but I like that little place better. And they're, they're shut down now for shave ice because they're doing building up there. But I love to go up there as a local because I'd hear all the people that are tourists, they kept calling it shaved ice. Have you ever noticed how they do that? And it's not shaved ice, it's shave ice. So I'm listening to them, they do that. I don't correct them. I'm not their mainland. They won't remember even when they get back. But I love to watch the kids eat their shave ice. And when they do these, and I think all the shave ice places do this, they give you these cones. Most of them give you a cone. And they load this colorful thing. It looks like the top of a clown's head. You know what I'm saying? On top of this. And I'm wondering, let me just see if they can eat this. And Carol and I have this competition. Can we eat this without getting our hands messy or dropping any of the ice off of this? And so we're working this thing. You know, we're working it. We're drinking it before, you know, overflow. We're, we're, I mean, our, you know, the whole world can burn. You know, we're looking at our shave ice. We're going, I'm watching the kids around me. And all it takes is a little chunk to fall off. And the kids are, oh, no, I dropped it. And they're tipping it sideways and the whole top goes off. You know, I'm watching this because they're delighting in this. When was the last time you had a shave ice? How many of you would like to have a shave ice right now? All right, there you go. We delight in this. It's sweet and it's cold. And if you have certain things, I don't know how these people eat these beans at the bottom. But anyway, that's how they do I like the, 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 the ice cream at the bottom. I delight in that. You lick it. You lick your arm. You're doing everything. Well, I'm using that only as a tiny illustration of what Scripture says that we need to do about His Word. That we delight in it. On New Year's Day, Carol and I said, you know what, nothing's happening. Let's go to the North Shore. And I say, we're going to treat ourselves. We always take people up there. This time it was a date day. So we went up to the North Shore. I had to have my shave ice. We hadn't been up there in months maybe. I can't remember how long. And do you know what? Matsumoto was closed on New Year's Day. I was so depressed I don't know what to do. Now why am I telling you that? You have your own little shave ice whether it's your hungry or your favorite television show or something. But I'm saying there is something we all delight in. And I'm not going to try to put any of that down as long as we do not delight in the counsel or the paths or the ways of sinners, wicked people, and scorners. But we do delight in His Word. So you can delight in all of that stuff, but make sure our highest delight is we cannot get enough of the Word. Now, a couple weeks ago, maybe even last week, I told you why I encourage you to get a Bible. And I hope you get a good study Bible. If you don't have one, get one. Get a good leather Bible. Get one that might have some notes for you, some that you'll have for a long time that was that stitched very well. You carry that to church. You take it with you when you have your study time. You mark it up. You own this Bible. When you go places when there could be at least any remote possibility... You have your word with you because you might hear someone give some scripture that you want to mark in the margin of your Bible. You get all of that. Now, some of you might say, so am I guilty if I have it on my phone right here? No, you're not guilty if you have it on your phone. I would encourage all of you that have one of these Bibles, you go get yourself a phone or some type of a tablet that has that app. 
because you can't always carry your Bible with you wherever you go. But if you delight in the Word, the first thing you're going to do when you punch open that screen shows up, it's not going to be Facebook blue with a number next to it for you to go check. It's going to be, where's my Bible app and where can I read something because I delight in His Word. So I hope that within you, you're going to say, I need to make that as a priority in my life. So that's what the word delight means. I told you to look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119 has 176 verses in it, the longest chapter in the Bible. And only four of those verses do not refer directly to God's word. They all refer to God's word, but four. I want you now to get your pen ready if you have this Bible. If you don't, just write down these addresses and I will read the verses to you if you didn't bring your Bible with you. I want to give you every verse in Psalm 119 that speaks to the value of delighting in the word. It will, not many, but there's enough to really change you. So Psalm 119, verses 14 through 16. Listen now with your mind and with your heart. The writer says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Now that's a huge statement. How can anybody really rejoice in all of the testimonies of God's word more than all the riches you can have? How can you do that? Well, this guy did. Now, there is something quite interesting. We're reading Psalms right now. Look up here if you will. See my Bible? I'll do it this way. See my Bible? This side of it has all of this right here. All of this still wasn't written yet. So what they delighted in was a lot less than what we have now. So what now is you're not going to a buffet with four little items on it. Boy, do I delight in this buffet. There's four items. You're going to a buffet that's got 400 items in it. And now you can really delight in one of those big smorgasbords. All right? So now he says, I delight in this. Stay with me. Verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I'll come back to meditation in a moment. I will regard your ways. I will look upon your ways in contrast to the ungodly, the worldly person's way. Verse 16, and here it is. I shall delight in your statutes. He didn't say in the ones that promised a blessing. He said, I, I delighted in your statutes, period, in the subject. Whatever those statutes are, your word is all important, whether it's a warning, a caution, or a promise of blessing. I shall not forget your word. Now, there's something that to say, I will not forget your word. We're all struggling with our memories as we get older. But in his own mind, he's saying, I will not forget the value of your word, your word, the importance of it. And if I forget it, I'm going to learn it again if I have to. Verse 34, flip over to verse 24, I'm sorry, verse 24. It says, your testimonies are also my delight. They are my counselors. That one is worthy to underline. They're all important, but this one might speak to you. If you're looking for a counselor, the best counselor you're going to find is Jesus, who's the wonderful counselor, and then the counsel is going to be his word, not in place of others, as long as those people are word-based in some measure. Your testimonies are also my delight. Now verse 35 says, make me walk in the path of your commandments. That's pretty hefty to say, make me walk, Lord, in the path of your commandments. Would you allow the Lord to do whatever it took in your life to get you into the word, take away your health, take away your job, take away your car? What, would you, what, what wouldn't you want the Lord to do to keep you from getting into the word. Then he says, for I delight in them. Now that's, when you delight in his word, you see the value of his word, that's what's going to be the motivator to make you want to maybe pray the prayer. Lord, you make me walk in the paths of your word. I delight in them, so now help me to live them. And that's not enough. Go to verse 47. He said, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. Maybe we have a love affair wrong. We love the Lord, true, and I get that. And we should love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, says both uh, Old Testament and New Testament. But to love the Lord, I need to love his word because he's revealed in his word. You have the living Christ, which is Jesus himself. Then you have the written Christ, which is the word. Drop down, if you will, to verse 70. 
Verse 70 says, their heart, referring to those ungodly people, the worldly-minded people, their heart is covered with fat. Now, some of you might think, oh, that must be prosperity. When you're fat, you're prosperous. I get all of that. But actually, the word covered means gross like fat. Their heart is so fat. And when you have fat, fat has very little value in of itself. So they got fat heart. They look big. They look hefty. They look prosperous. But it's nothing but yucky fat. Okay? How many of you have ever gone someplace, you got a piece of meat, and it was kind of baked or battered or whatever, and you cut into this thing, and you say, there's nothing but fat in here. Have you ever said that before? Raise your hand. And of course you said, there's nothing but fat in here. Yippee, give me more. No, you said, oh, no, I wish I had, you know. So that's what it's saying here. Now go, the rest of the verse is this. He says, but I delight in your law. All right, what a great verse that is. Go to verse 77 now. May your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. That is a very heavy verse. If I did not delight in, my, in your law, if I didn't do that, then I would perish in my affliction. Yesterday I was out and about and having some alone time. And I got word of a man who and his wife went with Carol and me when I hosted a trip to Israel. He's a man that's... Uh, I'm going to call him a very vanilla man. A a vanilla man means he he wasn't a meteor that did great things. He had late in life onset polio. Wasn't really crippled, but he walked differently. If you know what I'm trying to say, that's not a condemnation. It's an analyzation. It's an explanation. His wife is very sweet, had a good marriage, uh, a a good man with all of that. And I got word that um, two weeks ago he was in church, just like the person next to you right now. And... By Wednesday after church, he got up in the morning, and when he did, he couldn't speak real well. They thought he had a little bit of a stroke, went into a somewhat of a seizure. They hauled him off to the hospital. When they got into him, they realized that he had a tumor the size of a golf ball in his brain and that it was cancerous. It's so severe that now what they're trying to do is figure out how they might be able to prolong his life. So I happened to call thinking I'm going to get Bonnie instead of Doug so I could talk to her because I thought he'd be, you know, way out. And um, he answered. Just like I talked to you in the lanai, that's how he talked to me. And as we began to talk, he said, what's going on in your life, Stan? I told him a little bit, mostly about you all, actually. And then um, he said, "Um, you know what's happening to me? I said, that's why I'm calling. He said, you know, and he went through the story I just told you. And then he spent the next 20 minutes with such peace, such joy, that just, that rolled off his tongue, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, rolled off his tongue, without any denial, without any candy coating, like I need to say the right thing, sin management stuff, it was all real of his love for the Lord. The one truth he said that stuck with me, and I pray I never forget this, he says, you know, sometimes God does things we call suddenlies. I said, huh? He said, a suddenly. A suddenly is when you're going through life and suddenly something hits you that's so severe, so dramatic, and may never be changed apart from a miracle of God. That's a suddenly in your life. Have you ever had a suddenly? He had a suddenly when he got out of bed and he couldn't talk very well. That's his suddenly. I don't know that his suddenly is going to change until he's with Jesus and it may be only a matter of months. But he had a suddenly. But even in the midst of that suddenly in his life, he could still give joy. He could see purpose. And the only prayer he asked when I asked, what what can I pray for you? He said, here's what I'd like you to pray. And I told him I'm going to tell you today too. He said, I'm going to go to church. I hadn't been there last week. I'm going this week. Most of the people probably don't know. It's a mega church. And he says, but those that that don't know, they're going to see my head shaved, the scar over here, I'll wear a cap. 
And he says, and I have to explain, and it will be a complete shock because two weeks ago I was as normal as they were, and now I'm facing this right now. And I want to have some kind of ministry to reduce their shock, to give God the glory, and just let them know we're going to go on this journey and it's going to be something good. Now, I could tell you more about that, but that's an illustration of the biblical verse here that I just read to you. Let's go back to it with that story in mind. Here's what it says, verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Now, the perishing doesn't necessarily mean the death part, but it does mean emotionally you shut down. Socially, who would want to go to church two weeks after you had the surgery with a scar like this and everybody's going to talk to you, fearing everybody's going to pity you, and you want to go to show the wonderful grace of God to anybody who might listen to you in such a measure. So he was not perishing is my point. He was very much alive, yea, probably more alive than ever because all that he had during the time of hearing messages like this, he embraced the delighting in the Lord. And he could say, I would have perished if I didn't delight in him. Another verse. Go to 143 now, 143. So you meditate on God's word because you delight in his word so that when you go through the times of affliction, you won't perish. Verse 143 says, Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. What happens when people go through major relational breakdowns, major job changes and problems? What do they do? They abandon their word. They, they begin to quit. Why me? Why this? Why now? They go after God when this thing happens. And what he's saying basically is all this has happened to me and it's just given me greater delight in his word. How beautiful this is. Yet your commandments are my delight. I don't care what you do externally. Your word never changes. You never change. And I'm going to hang on to that. 174. Verse 174, last one on Psalm 119. He says, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Now, he doesn't mean to get saved like I'm going to be saved right now. I long for your salvation in the sense that I want to get out of this life and I want to be with you. I long for this complete, total, holistic salvation experience physically and socially and spiritually. I long for it from you, Lord, because I delight in your word. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.